0: visit OutdoorEdge.com. Yeah, buddy. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we continue our Anything But Deer Hunting series where we talk with Chris Powell of the Houndsman XP Podcast. Now, the Houndsman XP Podcast, like I mentioned in the episode, is one of the longest-running shows on the Sportsman's Empire, and these guys do amazing things. And when I say they're the cream of the crop, I mean, in their category, when it comes to hunting with hounds, when it comes to coon hunting, when it comes to bear hunting, mountain lion hunting, anything that revolves around the, the, uh, I guess, hunting with hounds, these guys are it, right? They're the first and they're the best. And so, and they've gotten to where they're at for a reason because of these things. And, and so on today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing The host of the podcast, Chris Powell, and really what this episode is is it is a it's a continuation of the series. Right, we're going to talk to Chris about why he loves hunting with hounds, why he loves the dogs, why he loves this this lifestyle and the community that surrounds this lifestyle and uh, it's just a really good conversation outside of deer hunting and to be honest with you it's something that I really like to talk about because I feel like as outdoorsmen uh, we often and and Chris actually mentions this a, a little bit in the in the podcast is that There's a lot of times where we try to find differences with each other when in this scenario, we should probably look more towards are similarities and there's a lot of people that right now that are trying to drive a wedge between hunters and we should actually be coming together as this one big voice one big community and uh, and so that's why I wanted to get Chris on and uh, man we talk about everything we talk about the barriers to entry we talk about the financial cost involved with getting something started as far as the price of a dog the price of the gear required the training the time all that stuff so it's a it's a very informative very good episode hopefully you guys enjoy it and if you're not interested in, in coon hunting listen to the episode and just get a, get a feel for the passion that chris has for what um for what he does and i think uh those types of stories are just intriguing anyway so huge shout out to chris for taking time out of his day to hop on the podcast now before we get into today's episode though I am going to remind everybody that uh, we are putting a lot of these interviews on YouTube now. So if you want to see the video interview, uh, you, can, you can watch it there. You can continue to listen on your, your uh, you know, on iTunes or, or uh, Spotify or wherever it is that you guys listen to your, your episodes. Be sure to check, uh, check it out on YouTube as well if you want more of a, a visual aspect to this. Now, huge shout out to all the partners that support this podcast, and we're going to run through those real quick. If you're looking for a saddle, go check out Tethered and the, the, the saddle hunting community that these guys have built. Uh, I, I talked with a couple of guys at the Iowa Deer Classic this year, and uh, it's just, it just a lot of cool people who hunt the way that I hunt under this tethered community and so uh huge shout out to tethered for building that and educating the you know basically their customers on how to be a better hunter and outdoorsman in general while using their products so uh that's what i love about working with tethered so i'm going to be spending a lot more time in the the saddle this upcoming year and i'm looking forward to uh testing it out Flattening that learning curve, and then also talking with other people about what makes uh, Tethered so great. So, uh, if you're looking for a, a, a saddle, saddle hunting accessories, platform climbing sticks, go check out Tethered's website. Wasp Archery, uh, the big dog in in the hunting industry, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, these guys don't do the type of marketing, in my opinion. This is my opinion these guys don't do the mark like the the flashy marketing and i don't feel they need to right they, they don't have the big names they don't have the, the huge budgets but what they do have is a broadhead or a, a, a lineup of broadheads that are built of the highest quality and destroy everything that they hit and so that's why i'm a huge fan of wasp broadheads um, so if you're if you're looking for a you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care who supports it. All I know is that when I hit a deer with their broadhead, it's going to do what it's supposed to do and kill the animal. And so I have a lot to do with that too. But when you're, a majority of your heads are still made in America, uh, you have the best material and some of the best and coolest designs. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Wasparchery.com, 20% discount code, uh, 20% off discount code NFC20. And that gets you 20% off. Go buy your broadheads today. And hunt stand. Let's see. Hunt stand. We're talking about this time of year. I'm get, I'm getting ready to go shed hunting tomorrow. Okay. So this is Monday when I'm recording this. Wednesday is when this will launch. So this means that if you're listening to this now, yesterday I went shed hunting. And I'm actually going to be doing a little scouting on this new farm that I have while I'm uh, doing this. I have yet to walk the entire farm. I have yet to, you know, just comb it through, and I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to drive the two hours or three hours it takes to get to this farm. I'm going to walk every inch of it, and then I'm going to be, you know, dropping pins. I'm going to be moving some stands. I'm going to be doing the bat- the whole battery thing with my, uh, you know, all the batteries that I need to change out of my trail cameras, just a ton of work, and I'm going to document all of that on Hunt Stand. And so, Hunt Stand is just a great opportunity to journal and uh, document your all of your hunting properties, along with being able to manage like uh, uh, trail camera pictures. You know, just educate yourself on the terrain and all of the surrounding terrain. Uh, on top of that, they have a new Pro Whitetail platform that everybody needs to get check out. So go check out HuntStand.com Last on the list of advertisers is Vortex Optics. If you are looking for, in my opinion, some of the best, highest quality uh, optics in the in the country, in the world, then you need to go check out Vortex Optics. On top of that, they have a an awesome lineup of optics accessories, like they. Uh, Cleaners and all the things you need on how to keep your optics maintained, and uh, the education station that allows you to, you know, educate yourself on how to properly use and care for their products, and uh, just it's just a really again like all the, all the products that I've discussed. Vortex has this community, and if you're part of this community, you're going to be taken care of, and that's why I like working with Vortex Optics. So if you're looking for uh, pair of binoculars spotting scope range finder you name it they have it vortexoptics.com go check it out and last but not least this is and this is where i, I want to get serious for a moment if you're looking to give back in 2023 please go check out two percent for conservation it is a a a wildlife conservation organization at fishinwildlife.org. And so I'll be talking about more of that later this spring, early summer. And, uh, you know, we, we want to make sure we're giving back to the natural resources that we all take away from. So 2% for conservation. All right. That is the commercials. That's the intro. Let's get into today's Anything But Deer Hunting series episode with my man Chris Powell. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Anything But Deer Hunting series, and today I am joined by one of the longest-running members of the Sportsman's Empire, Mr. Chris Powell of the Houndsman XP podcast. Chris, man, how you doing?
1: Good. The reason I'm the longest-running is because I guess I, I can't find a way out. <laughs>
0: this thing's grown into something huge, Dan. I know. I know. I, I Not only... Not only the empire itself, right, the, the sportsman's empire, but the Houndsman XP has grown into something that in your, in your guys' industry and market is like the, the cream of the crop. And I, I think that's pretty cool, man.
1: I'll tell you what, when we started, uh, when we launched, I remember the first conversation you had, we, or we had, you were like, man, if you get 100 downloads the first week. You know you should really be happy about that and we crushed that i think our first week we had 1500 downloads that week and and i don't think you knew what to say about that and uh you know now we're just yeah just piling up so it's been wildly successful and one of the original missions we had was to make this lifestyle more mainstream and since we launched, I think, uh, last count, I think there's like 12 podcasts out there that are talking about hunting dogs and hunting with hounds specifically. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah and you guys, good.
0: you guys were number one, number one, were the original. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, <clears throat> dude, I, I I get a kick out of uh, got a out of stuff like that. And so, yeah, um, for you know, you're on the Nine Finger Chronicles. Just give everybody a little bit of update of what the Houndsman xp like what what you are what you're all about
1: yeah so i i look at it as we are the voice for houndsmen and hound hunting houndsmen did not have a platform that was getting their message out there on a on a broader stage you know out there to the world there were tons of outdoor podcasts but there was nothing that was talking specifically about who we are and what we do and we were losing the narrative on some of that. We'd lost the narrative on it. I'd heard other people on different podcasts trying to talk about hunting with hounds and, yeah. and some big name podcasts out there that were trying to talk about hunting with hounds, but they weren't getting it right. Yeah. So we wanted to do it and get it right. And we wanted to uh, do a couple things there. We wanted to showcase and set set the record straight on who we are, but we also wanted to challenge people in our community to rise up and and be extreme performance that's what the xp stands for is extreme performance that is everything from how we train our dogs how we care for our dogs how we portray ourselves to the hunting public and you know getting involved in the conversations about wildlife management and bridging gaps between the hound hunting community and you know other other Genres, if you will, uh, deer hunters, duck hunters, all this stuff show why we are important to have on the landscape and why we as a hunting community as a whole all need to come together and unify because there's plenty of people out there trying to take
0: our freedoms away.
1: So that's right. what we're about.
0: Yeah, agreed. And so let, this is a question that just kind of popped into my head as you were explaining all this. Is there a difference? When, when, you, when you say hound hunting, is there a difference between, let's say, using coon or using do, uh, dogs to tree coons and mountain lions and retrieval dogs like to go get pheasants and to go get ducks?
1: There is a difference, but it's it's there's a lot of similarities too. you know, the the behavioral uh, process for dogs. A dog is a dog. And whether you're training a police dog or you're training a, um, a, a hound to go out and tree lions and, and raccoons, those, the training foundations are the same. Dog behavior is dog behavior. So uh, the learning stages, the olfactory, you know, their ability to scent. Duck dogs use scenting. Bird dogs use, use their olfactory to scent their game. Hounds are, hounds are much the same.
0: Okay. Awesome. All right. And so let me, let me ask you this. I want to, I, I want to yeah. kind of go back as far as you can remember. And, and I know
1: I just turned 54, Dan. I'm not sure. this is a setup.
0: <laughs> well, the, the reason I'm asking this is because, you know, uh, we have, we're going to be having on this series, a lot of different people and some people You know, like for me, I didn't pick up bow hunting seriously until I was 26. You know, I was, I would, I would have put myself in the fishing category more than the deer hunting category Mm -hmm. up until then. And so, and this, this will help set a precedence for how long it takes an individual to get to, you know, the level that I would say you're at in, in hound hunting. How old were you when you started, uh, you know, working with, with hounds and, and doing this whole raccoon thing.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, I was 13 years old when I got my first hound that I could call my own. Uh, I tagged along, I tagged along on a, on a couple hunts before then. I, it was just something that, that struck a nerve with me. I deer hunted, I've duck hunted, I've turkey hunted, but the one constant, um, I just think I'm a hunter and my specialty has been. Uh, working with the hounds so
0: gotcha okay all right so 13 years old your first dog now picking up fishing if i wanted to go so for example the the episode before you uh, i had a guy on and i talked to him about fly fishing and the learning curve and things like that but I don't need to try and keep a fishing pole alive. I don't need to feed a fishing pole. So now we have this entire other, other than learning how to use a dog to hunt, you also have to learn how to train a dog and you have to Uh learn how to um, keep them healthy and all of that stuff. So what, what is a learning curve? Like if I said to myself, you know what, I like what Chris does. I want to use a hound and I want to train it to tree coons what's a learning curve like that look like
1: man i'll tell you what we um our our motto here is you never stop learning yeah you never stop learning um i hope i'm learning till they put me in the ground you know yeah um so it's hard to say what that looks like some people pick up things more naturally than others um trapping is one of those things that i've done but i wouldn't consider myself a trapper Mm -hmm. Uh, i guess it goes back to that saying that what is that saying you know uh champions don't do things till they get it right they do it till they can't get it wrong right you know so um when you watch a trapper somebody that's a great trapper I mean, it just looks effortless. What they do, mm-hmm. the way they make their sets, the way you know everything they do, and they're highly successful. And I like finding those houndsmen that look make it look effortless. Yeah. You know that when you see that guy at the, the at the tailgate and he's getting his hounds out and and stuff like that too. I that and and it's just effortless. The dogs are well behaved. They're highly effective at what they do. You can tell that they've, you know, they're all all well trained and and beautiful dogs and well cared for. They just make it look effortless. Yeah, and that's what I'm still striving to do.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now, when it comes to, let's just say, getting your first your first dog to do something like this, is there? First off, before before I even get into like the species uh or the breed of dog, I want to talk about what a what an entry level uh, uh financial commitment looks like to jumping into a, a hobby like this. <laughs>
1: uh I, it, it's one of those things that when you first start out, you know, when I was 13 years old, I came home with a dog on a leather collar i can't remember exactly but i do remember you know what that is probably a hand-me-down collar uh but i didn't even have a leash you know i i can't brought it home on it on a piece of baling twine you know that i that i'd wrapped around its collar and we hauled it home in the back of the family station wagon i had to sit in the back of the station wagon with it so um and then most of the gear i've always been kind of a guy that um made gear you know i made tie outs i made uh took took pieces of chain and and we just dropped a podcast about tethering dogs this past week uh but yeah we tethered we tethered the dog out and i remember building the dog houses and and doing that sort of stuff you know that's when you're 13 and there's still a lot of of i still do a lot of that stuff uh but as far as the financial commitment for me in 2023, I'm I don't really want to say on a public podcast because my wife might hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but for the benefit of everyone out there, I will reveal a few secrets. So to give you an idea, um, you know just just an entry level. If you were gonna if it, if you were going to get to where I'm at right now, I mean, I've got a four wheel drive truck. I've got and we know what those cost. I've Mm -hmm. got a dog box in the back of my truck that would retail for probably around $2,300. My tracking equipment, uh, one Garmin handheld, the newest 200i is $799, and then you've got $350 per collar after that. Uh, You've got extra antennas, and we haven't even got off of the X yet for You know dog care and Mm -hmm. cost of dogs and stuff like that you know it's um if you're feeding a high quality feed then you can probably i haven't done the math on this for a long time but you know daily care of a dog is probably five to ten dollars a day you know when you add in warmer and and you just take the average you know then then you're and housing the dog and different things so i mean it's 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 a very big financial commitment without even talking about the time so if you're a guy that looks at time as money then you can even put you can even up that you know so you're looking at thousands of dollars yeah, yeah. to uh to keep to keep these hounds and then the price of hounds
0: uh, is expensive too yeah what's a pup uh what kind of what kind of dog do you have or do you have multiple <laughs> i've got multiple okay. i've got
1: uh i've got one yog terrier And that's uh, opened up a new front for me. Uh, First one I've ever had, but I've got four other hounds. Okay. And five, yeah, four other hounds right now. And I've got blue ticks and I have plot hounds. Okay. And um, yeah, that's what I got.
0: Blue ticks and plots. Okay, so blue tick, plot. um, What would be the average cost of a a pup? And do do male or female, uh, like, is one more expensive than the other?
1: No, it's usually the same price, male or female pup. Um, I think our community is kind of stuck in a time warp because I can remember the days of, of $200 puppies, and a lot of people still think you can get puppies for that. And that's, <laughs> um, yeah, that's a pipe dream. Yeah. Um, but um, it's not uncommon to see well bred pups from. A good, strong lineage, if you can get them, you know, if, if you can get your hands on them, to sell between five and $800 for a puppy. Okay. well, That's, that's ballpark.
0: Well, Chris, I'm going to give you a little insight to my life. My wife uh, decided she wanted to buy a cockapoo. Now, a cockapoo doesn't tree coons. It doesn't find nothing. sheds. It does nothing except pee and poop in the yeah, house and, and, eat. and make me mad is really yeah. what it does. And so and so uh I was pulling for another uh, like a lab or something and uh I got uh, we got a cockapoo and uh yeah. the the influence uh, I got influenced I'll just put it to you that way to to uh to buy. You got it. manipulated Exactly. Buddy. Exactly. And so um now now the financial investment is not like going to Walmart and picking up gear, all right? So it sounds like there is um some some pretty big
1: all right so what was your price tag on your cockapoo that does nothing
0: yeah seven seventeen hundred dollars
1: exactly see that has been one of my biggest um, one of my biggest talking points for a long time when people complain about the price of puppies and that man we're paying twenty one hundred dollars for doodles that have no expectation other than to not shed and Lay on your couch.
0: Yeah, that's it. Yep, yep. And I'll be honest; like, I love dogs, but I hate the dog that currently lives in my house. Like, I, I just don't. I, like, I don't. Man, like. You're, I, I, I thought I was
1: going out on limb by talking about the money. You're, you're
0: laying it down. I, well, I everything that I've said to you, I've also said to my wife. So uh, it's full disclosure here. Um, I get it. So. When it comes to, and I'm just going to continue with, uh, an activity like, you know, letting dogs loose and letting them go after hogs or coons or, you know, other predators, is there a way to do it cheaper where, you know, like you can just have them on a leash and have them, uh, in the front of your truck and you, you just let them out without a collar or a tracking device. And then you just kind of follow them. Sure.
1: You can do that. Uh, I don't know of any serious uh, the deal the thing is that i i think it's lost on the unaware a lot of times is how much these dogs mean to us yeah you know how how important they are to us you look at you look at some of the people that i know they've been working their whole lives and they're you know maybe seven eight ten generations in on a breeding program Mm-hmm they they've honed those genetics to the point where uh, that's been their life's work and and so not only that but like every one of my dogs means something to me it's 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 not a anthropomorphic I love my dog type thing but it, it I've got an emotional investment in them and I've got a, a lot of time investment in them and they, they they're important to me they' they're important for my um, my mental well-being i recognize that so when you take something that is that important you're not going to haphazardly go out there and just turn it loose where you where you can't keep track of it and you can't be there a dog has no awareness that there is a busy road you know quarter mile in the in the direction that it's headed chasing its quarry so with that tracking equipment then i can get to the point where i can i can get my hands on them and keep them safe um they have no concept of of caves and and you know mine shafts in west virginia and stuff like that so all that tracking equipment is crucial for us to be able to to keep our dogs in those locations the same thing we were hog hunting in in uh, louisiana last week and um we had a hog swim the river and this river was up and it was swollen it was i caught we caught three dogs off the edge one dog got two dogs got past us. one made it all the way across the river and got onto another piece of property that we didn't have permission to be on and so this dog is looking at the hog the two dogs that went in the river i recalled one got my hands on him got him back in the thing the other dog swam He's looking at a hog and with the, with the ability of our equipment, you know, I gave them a tone where an audible tone and boom, the dog lifts its head up. I give it another tone. It jumps back in the same swollen river and swims back across to keep him off of a place that we knew we couldn't go to. Right, right. So it's a deal where, can you do it? Yes. I mean, you can, you can get rid of tree stands and, and, um, you know, all the technology and modern hunting and go back to atlatls and, yep. and, uh, stick bows if, if that's what you choose, but some that's not for everybody. And for right. me as a serious houndsman, I'm not going to turn a dog loose without that, the ability to, to offer the safety factor and the control and, and just be, a uh, uh, a good caretaker of of a trust I've been given in that hound.
0: Right. All right. So I'm aware of the financial uh, investment on not only buying the dog, but getting the the gear to make it um, fun and exciting and, and, and then safe for not only people, but for the dogs as well. Now it comes to the training point. All right. What does training for a dog from pup, to first time on a track job look like
1: listen to the houndsman xp podcast (laughs) (laughs) because it's uh, it's not a it's not a one minute answer (laughs) no no we spent i think we're in i think we dropped 313 episode 313 tomorrow and that's what the podcast has been about uh for several years so um it's a daily commitment it's a Uh, when they're puppies then you know you're trying to do different things with those dogs you're trying to uh, you know set life lifelong behaviors for those dogs everything from uh, you know doing the scent work to uh, scent recognition um, to handling to being able to ride in a box with you know make that dog a good citizen Mm -hmm. Uh, you're talking about recall you're talking about but a lot of the instinctive stuff to track and and hold their quarry at bay or in a tree until you get there, a lot of that stuff is genetic. That's gen, you can hone it, but it's instinctive for the dog to do that. Yeah. So you really can't, you really can't teach the tracking portion of it. You can do things to um, enhance their interest in certain sense. Uh, smells, odors. But as far as the reason, the, the thing that sets my hound apart from your Labrador is their instinctive nature to track, gotcha. to trail game. Uh, the the Labrador or my boxer even can smell the same thing. It, it can smell where the coyote peed on the bush. And you you dump a hound, a lab, and a your cockapoo out there, and they're all going to go over there, and they're going to smell it. Well, the instinct for the hound is to okay, I've got this scent here. There's a track leading away from it, so I'm going to trail it. And the instinct is not the same in the lab and the and the cockapoo to do that.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And so, is this a is this a year process? Is this a two year process?
1: Um, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. There's a there's a always a question that pops up among houndsmen and it's like uh, we call them finished hounds you know when a hound is is a finished hound it can go out and it can do its job it can locate game it can track it can tree. and a lot of times we try to put an age limit on that and my answer is always a hound isn't finished until it's dead you know a dog an old dog can learn new stuff so and you can see that development throughout their lives their skill sets may change a little bit and their physical abilities may change as far as you know it, it takes a, a a lot to stay in a bear race or a coyote race or a hog race and just like us the age catches up on these things they may develop a different skill set but it's still there so yeah you know ideally people like to see hounds doing their job by 18 months old okay you know and being being able to be successful by 18 months old and that threshold moves up and down for different people Um, the thing that I look for in dog training is not necessarily the 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 ability to track and tree and do all that stuff by a certain age I look for those glimpses of greatness within that puppy you know you're sitting there and you're watching it and and you see it do certain things, like do a scent hook on a, uh, a piece of, like I'll scatter dog food out in the grass and I'll just, sca- it's called scatter feeding. And that what that does is it wakes up that nose and they start to think, okay, when I use my nose, there's something good that's going to happen when I use it. And so you'll turn puppies out there and some are slower than others. And then some are really fast at figuring it out. So they'll be running across the yard and all of a sudden, you'll see it. That we call it a scent hook. They'll get there, and boom, that nose will go up, and they'll just turn that head, and it's like they're turning themselves inside out. And boom, they're they're locating that that kibble that you scattered in the grass. Okay, uh, you know things like that. So you look for those moments of greatness. You look at, you know, you've got them out on a walk. All of a sudden, you know, they're over here smelling at the base of the tree, and they're standing up on a tree, and they're trying to trying to find out what's going on, and they're locating at that point. And so you're looking for behaviors like that in those puppies. Okay. So that's how I, that's how I gauge, you know, which puppies I want to work with, which ones are more natural, which ones are, you know, those, those types of behaviors is what I'm looking for. And I can, if I get excited about that, I can hang in there with a dog till they're a little bit older to really develop those skills.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, We've kind of set the foundation then of kind of what it takes to get uh, get ready and the time, you know, not only financially, but the time investment to get to the point where uh, you can get out and start doing some of these things. Is there different training methods for a hog versus a coon versus a mountain lion versus a bear?
1: The basics are all the same. Track, okay. Track, trail, tree. Gotcha. You know, uh, track, trail, bay. I've seen phenomenal haw- dogs that uh, hogs let me get this out I've seen phenomenal dogs that could catch hogs that were also great bear dogs okay uh, I've seen some bobcat dogs that were very good lion dogs and lion dogs that that made good bobcat dogs but the the key ingredient there is their ability to track trail and tree you know locate a track trail it, through adverse conditions and bring their quarry to bay or tree. So uh, when you start getting into the different aspects of it, you know, there's guys that I, I run multi-purpose dogs because I don't have hogs and I don't have bears and I don't have lions. So I use dogs for multiple species. Um, That will drive some people crazy. The last thing you want to do and, it drives people crazy if you've got a dog that doesn't realize it's bear hunting mm-hmm. and it gets treed, um, you know, a thousand yards through a Wisconsin swamp <laughs> on a raccoon. Yeah. You know, that is frustrating. So, but I have found, and I've I've done this, police officers and the military has been doing it for police dogs and military dog handlers have been doing this for, for decades. The gear association, you want a dog that's smart enough to know... Uh, you know, what they're out there for. Gotcha. And by repetitive gear association, using certain, certain gear for certain applications, then boom, they, they start to pick up on it. It's not going to be instant, but like my dogs know, I, my blue tech female is a prime example. She knows the difference between we're, we're coon hunting right now because it's dark We're and, and I handled them differently at those times. Than when she's riding around on the rig or, you know, up on my dog box trying to locate a, a bear track, mm-hmm. she's not strike. She may, she may give me some, some barks on a coon, but I can tell the difference. Gotcha. So, yep. You can't, you can do scent discrimination work there and, and know what you're getting. All right. It's not a hundred percent. I'm not going to say I've got it nailed down a hundred percent. I'll still have a, have a young dog that, that finds that opportunity screaming across a, a swamp, and boom, there's a raccoon track, and he's like, "Ah, you know, yeah, yeah that that's that's aggravating at times, but it's part of it. You're there right. to hunt,
0: right? So let's talk a little bit, you know, about why you have stuck with it all these years. What is it about hound hunting that you love so much?
1: Mm. You know that. Uh, it used to be, it apply, It this applies to any, anything that you're hunting, you know, you go through the different stages of hunter development.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, when I was a kid and I brought that first coonhound home, oh. uh, that coonhound probably could have made something if it had somebody that knew what it was doing with it, right. you know? Right. So, uh, but I was excited. I was just excited to have a dog and be in the game. So it's a lot like that shooting phase when you, when you first start hunting, you just want to. You like shooting. Mm-hmm. And as you progress through that, your your priorities change and things, things become different. I can tell you that the most rewarding thing for me has been the relationships I've built over the years with other houndsmen. And um, I always talk about the fact that I could drive from the East Coast to the West Coast and never pay for a hotel room if I didn't want to. Yeah you know, just staying with, staying with other houndsmen. My, my home is opened up to them and their home is opened up to me. So number one, has got to be the relationships. Um, it used to be, you know, developing that hound and, and getting the most out of that hound. And, and I still enjoy that, but it, it's, it's not the, if, if you're going through this life and you're, you're only doing it for yourself, man, you're missing so much, yeah. you know, it's, uh, so, so training hounds is, is rewarding. It, it is a challenge. You know, you, you, you look at some people that have spent their life breeding those hounds that, uh, are highly effective, very good at what they do. And it always comes back to relationships though, cause I don't care who you are. Even if you're a, a top breeder of, of performance dogs, you need a network of people out there that can take your dogs and your puppies and get the most out of them. So you really know what you've got. And if you're going to hunt multiple species of game, you know, I, I, I'm i going to hunt with a friend next week in, in Kalispell, Montana. So, nice. you know, it's got to be, it's got to be the relationships.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Now I look at my dog as a pet. All right. It, it falls under the pet category. And I look at what you have and I almost see it, I guess the, the, the label I would give one of your dogs would be like a tool, uh, mm-hmm. okay? So where do your hounds kind of rank on this scale of pet and tool?
1: The uh, utilitarian, you know, that's that's what... I think the further we get away from the farm... The less we understand you know utilitarian use of animals. yep um, That's a Mike Thorman quote, and that's what he uses to describe why people have such a hard time understanding you know people that hunt, people that use, use, um, use the land the way the way hunters do. Um, but it's not strictly utilitarian for me. You know, I've seen grown men sit down and cry over a lost dog. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean tough guys, yeah, tough mountain guys in Appalachia, that uh, maybe a dog was was fell off of a a bluff or it was, you know, it does happen they get killed by a bear or a hog or a mountain lion, and I've seen that. So to say that it's, you know, if I break if I break a tool, I may be upset, but I can replace that tool. Yeah, you know, I can go to Lowe's tomorrow and get a new dewalt you know dewalt drill it's not that big a deal uh i'm not gonna like it i'm not gonna want to spend the money but but when you take something that you've got so much time invested in and you've learned to read them and they've learned to depend on you for all the things that you need um these dogs these dogs are more than just tools they're they're like i said earlier they're they're good for my mental well-being um we know we've all seen a rise in awareness on companion dogs and stuff like that. Well, houndsmen have been doing that for, you know, centuries, you yeah. Know? yeah. we know, we know what it brings. Um, so it's more than a, more than a tool and more than I, I've seen dogs where they look up and they see you coming because they've got a, a rough bear bait or they've got a, they've got a, uh, uh, hog bait or a mountain lion in a tree or a coon in a tree and it's like you see that excitement level go up because oh they're here you know if he finally got here yeah you know yeah. they get a little more they get a little more brave and they get a little more the energized and and stuff like that so there's more than a, than a you know a, i've got several tools here and if i break one i might be pissed off but i'm not gonna cry about it
0: yeah i got you all right yep. so let me ask you a kind of a final question. This is a this is an opportunity for you to throw a sales pitch type comment out there for everybody listening. Why should somebody consider if not buying a dog and starting the whole process, because that, that's that seems to be complicated. If not, you know, jumping in feet you know headfirst into the world of of, of houndsmanship maybe talk a little bit about maybe going on a coon hunt or going on a lion hunt and watching what these dogs do. Give us a sales pitch about that stuff.
1: Uh, Brad Luttrell from go wild had never hunted bears with hounds before. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he and Derek came, tolls come out, came out and hunted with us in Virginia. And, um, they had a blast Mm -hmm. we had a blast taking them um so it was something that was new for them it was something that they came with an open mind uh they learned a lot they learned how demand physically demanding it can be Uh, a lot of the things that we battle a lot of times is listening to people try to say that that hunting with hounds is easy or it's not fair chase I would recommend reaching out to Brad Luttrell and asking him or reading some of the things that he's written about it. Mm-hmm. He's, he's written a lot about that. And, um, uh, but be open-minded about it. You know, there, there are, there are people out there who are just as passionate about what they do as you are about, uh, you know, hunting whitetail mm-hmm. or, or and it's a it's an investment it's it's not something that we need to you know pigeonhole or or try to put up barriers between between us go experience that and and find find those people that um that you you feel find people that you you would want to spend time with you yeah. know and and spend that time it's it's going to be a good time one of the one of the best hunts i do every year i don't own a beagle here but one of the best hunts i do every year is go to the up in michigan and um, and hunt hare with with some guys with beagles and it's just a good time you know you, you go out and you hunt for a little bit a lot of times we're sitting right there in camp and we're listening to the hounds screaming on a hare around us and uh you know we're cooking good food and we're having a good time and it's not always like that but but um, this management that we do, the wildlife management that we do is important to the bigger picture of every ungulate species out there. Every elk, every bighorn sheep that the Wild Sheep Foundation is turning loose, they, they need houndsmen. We're, we are doing stuff for uh, wildlife management in California right now with, with UC Berkeley trying to figure out where to put land bridges in because there's a, an isolated Uh, population of mountain lions that is becoming genetically inbred Uh, the work that houndsmen are doing in central america and south africa and even the florida panther population so there's important work out there that's being done and if you don't go experience it and you only let people on social media form and shape your opinions of what's going on we as a hunting community are going to lose a very valuable asset that we have in wildlife management and that's everything from you know coon hunting in the east for waterfowl upland game bird hunters and turkey hunters to big game ungulin hunters in the west that are you know that that the mountain lion has to be managed to to game on this uh African safari, you know, the, the grasslands in the, in the Africa for the leopard, you know, there's, there's valuable management work that's being done there. So don't let your opinions be shaped and formed by social media and what, you know, a Facebook question, go out and experience it for yourself and go with, with top houndsmen that, that can show you the whole picture. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, I tell you what, uh, Chris, man, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to to uh, give us this information and, and the four one one on what uh, what you yeah. do and how you do it and, and what it what it's like to be a houndsman, man. So I appreciate your time.
1: You bet, Dan. It's an honor. Thanks for everything you do for sportsmen. I really appreciate that. You know, we you build a great great network here, and that's what it's all about is building those bridges. I've met some great guys from from sportsman's empire and and uh, yeah thank you
0: and there you have it huge shout out to chris man i really appreciate everything you do for the network really appreciate uh, your podcast and taking time out to get interviewed today huge shout out to tethered wasp hunt stand vortex and the uh, two percent for conservation please go out and support the uh Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. That means a lot to me. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Let everybody know that the Nine Finger Chronicles is a badass podcast where not only will you be educated, but you'll be entertained as well. On top of that, man, it's all about the good vibes, right? Good vibes in, good vibes out. We'll talk to you next time.
1: Thank you.